Romans chapter 3, please. As I undertake the task of trying to study the book of Romans, I realize the brilliance of the Apostle Paul and my inadequacy. I think that's one of the reasons I'm a physical education teacher and not a lawyer. But we're going to take a look at some of the verses tonight in Romans chapter 3, and just a little touch and base on some of the places we've been. But before we get there, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, it says, Also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, and also in all his epistles, in which are some things that are hard to understand. And I think as if you've been with us in the study of chapter 1 and chapter 2 of Romans, you see that there's some things that, wow, even if you read it over a few times, you say, you know, what is Paul trying to say here? Uh, about a month ago, <clears throat> some of the pastors and I went down to Sandy Cove for the pastor's conference. And one of the speakers was Dave Guzik. And David Guzik said about the book of Romans that it has life-changing truth, but it must be approached with effort and determination to understand what the Holy Spirit said through the Apostle Paul. And I think that's so true, that as you just make a determined effort to study the book of Romans or any book, that there will be things that come alive that the Holy Spirit shows you that are right on the pages of the scriptures. So I just want to encourage you to do that, to just really put in the time and, and determination, because it, it's a discipline to study God's Word. You know, it's one thing coming here and hearing somebody teach. It's another thing when you're finding, carving out a piece of time during the day to get into God's Word. But that's where the, the meat is, when you're spending that one-on-one -on -one time with the Lord. One of the things about the book of Romans is it's unlike other letters that Paul wrote. A lot of the other uh, letters were to the church and to different challenges and problems that were happening in the church. But the book of Romans focuses more on God himself and on his plan of salvation. In the book of Romans alone, the name of God occurs 153 times, just in the book of Romans, which comes down to almost once every 46 words. So it's really a, uh, it's a book about God. Some of the other terms that we'll see or have already seen in the book of Romans is the word law. 72 times the word law is mentioned. Christ is mentioned 65 times. The word sin, 48 times. The word Lord, 43 times. And the word faith, 40 times. And you have to understand that the Christians in Rome, a lot of them never met Paul. Some of them had started the church in Rome, they feel, way back in Pentecost. 
when the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles and disciples in the upper room and there were some uh, Jews and non-Jews from Rome who were visiting. And they came back with such a zeal and a hunger that they started at, uh, home groups, which were the churches in Rome. But you have to understand that Christians in Rome were very unpopular. And you know who else is becoming more and more unpopular? You and I, aren't we? In this society today, with all the things that are going on, everything's upside down. They look at you and me like we have two heads that were some fanaticals, some fanatics, you know? And Paul and the Christians back in the Roman days went through the same thing. They were reputed to be enemies of the human race. They were even credited with such vices as incest and cannibalism. A lot of slander, a lot of gossip, anything to just break down a work that God was doing. How can we look in our society today and see the same thing? You know, we have people who come under the term as Christian people, men, women, teenagers, pastors, elders, who just disgrace the name of Jesus. And they give the true born-again believers a terrible name. Give them a bad mark. And we fall into that category. We're stereotyped with the uh, Hollywood preacher or the preacher that's mocked on TV. And they never get to know us because they shy away from those type of people. Well, Paul and the Christians back then had the same problems that we do today. Tonight's message is uh, titled The Biggest Loser. And we know that's a popular TV show where, um, you know, it's been on for years now. But one of the things that we have to understand that you and I, without a relationship with Jesus Christ, are the biggest losers. There's no hope. No matter what we achieve on this earth, no matter what we do, how popular we are, how much money we make, how famous we are, no matter how good things are, we're the biggest loser if we don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what it's all about. Paul was ready to preach and to serve. Paul was ready to suffer. Paul was ready to do unpleasant work, and he was ready to die. How many of those can you and I check off? Are we ready to tell others and to serve for the name of Jesus? Are we ready to suffer for the name of Jesus? I'm, since we've been here just in a half an hour, there have been people that have been persecuted and killed somewhere in the world just because they are born-again believers. And here we are, sitting in an air-conditioned church, taken in God's Word. That's awesome. I mean, look at what the grace and the mercy God has shown you and I that are here tonight, or on this part of, in the United States of America. Are we ready to do unpleasant work? I know many of you, we've done unpleasant things together. But how many of those unpleasant things that we started to do came out glorious because it was done for Jesus? How many things we just praise God for that, hey, we never thought that God was going to work in that particular way. And how many of us are ready to die for Christ? If we are really 
if we really believe who Jesus said he is, then do we live according to his word? And I know we're all works in progress, but that's a question we need to answer, I think. Do we really believe what we're reading? Do we really understand those things that we hear? And I think all of you do because you're here. Many faces I always see here. And that's awesome. But are you always looking to grow? Are you always looking to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus? Two scholars, uh, last names Bruce and Barclay, believe that a version of Romans was distributed widely among the early churches as a summary of the doctrine of the church. And one of the things Paul wanted to do was give a doctrine to the church in Rome. Remember, Rome was the hub of the world. The whole world revolved around Rome. Anything that came out of Rome was important. So Paul wanted to get the doctrine of the faith into the hands of the Christians in Rome because he knew they were in the hub. And all the roads that led into Rome also led out of Rome. And because this man, Paul, in the winter of around 55 or 56 AD, he was in the house of a businessman named Gaius. And him and this guy named Tertius came together and Paul dictate, dictated this letter to Tertius. We can see in uh, the last chapter of Romans, verse 22, we see that this man penned as Paul dictated. So here they were for a few months in the winter before Paul was going to go to Jerusalem where he was indicated that he might die in Jerusalem and never get a chance to go to Rome. So it was, there was an urgency in this letter that he wrote that he wanted the people to hear because he might never get there to teach them personally. In Romans chapter 2, one of the things that we looked at in verses 14 and 15, it says, although not having the law, it is a law to themselves. And Paul explains why the Gentiles can be condemned without the law, saying that their conscience was a work that was written in their hearts. And based on how they acted with what was shown them would be sin or not sin. So we saw in Romans 1, we saw in Romans 2, that there's nobody without an excuse, with an excuse. That all of us have sinned and fall short of God's perfect standards. There are three parts to Romans. The part that we're going to be looking at, the first eight chapters, are the doctrinal part, the doctrine of the Christian church. Sinners are exposed for who they really are. No one escapes. No one falls outside of being a sinner in the first eight chapters of Romans. It shows the depravity of man. Chuck Swindoll calls it the cinerama in panorama, and cinerama being S-I-N. 
Get the cinerama and panorama in the first eight chapters. In chapter one of Romans, we looked at in verses 19 to 32, how we look standing before God without forgiveness. The end of chapter one, you see all these things. And, and I know that I fall in almost every single category. And so do you. We fall short of the standards God has set. And if you uh, flip over to just verse 9 for a minute in chapter 3, right where we are, you get a more condensed version of Romans chapter 1, verses 19 to 32. Okay, in verse 9. What then? Are we better than they? Not at all. For we have previously charged that both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. And if we get to it tonight, we'll see some of those things. It's like the anatomy of a sinner that's listed in Romans chapter 3. And we'll take a look at that a little bit, hopefully later. Now, as we enter into chapter 3 tonight, you've got to understand that we finished in chapter 2 looking at the religious Jew. In chapter 1, we took a look at just the human race in general, how it has fallen, how it didn't measure up to God's perfect standards. So we saw that in chapter 1. As we get into 2, we see the moral person. And we saw that there's really no one who's moral. In other words, they might do some things right, but they also do some things wrong. And then also in chapter 2, we get to the religious Jew. And as it continues over into chapter 3, that's where we're picking up tonight. The first couple verses says, What advantage then has the Jew, or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. And that word oracles just means the words of God. Okay, now you have to remember, again, if you're not Jewish or don't have any part of a Jewish blood in you, it might be hard to connect with what Paul's saying. But know this, that the Jews rested and that the law was theirs. The law was given to Moses, one of their prophets, passed down through the centuries. So that was theirs. They had it. So they looked at that, but the thing was, they felt that because they had the law, they were okay in God's sight. It was all the other, it was the non-Jews that didn't have the law, and they were all heathen. They were all pagan. They deserved damnation. But Paul, in such the fine job he did in, in Romans chapter 1 and 2, shows that's all a fallacy that the Jew, too, has broken the law. And we remember he said, you tell others to, not to steal, but do you steal? You tell others not to murder, but you're angry with your brother? So there's, there, God just picked it apart. Jesus just picked it apart so that the Jew stands naked before the Lord as a sinner. There's nowhere he could hide. The second thing that they rested in the Jewish, the religious Jew, was that they were circumcised. 
but we found that circumcision didn't mean a thing unless it was a circumcision of the heart. Didn't mean anything to God. It was just an outward act of something that should be taken place inside. And the third thing is that they were children of Abraham. That's what they held on to. Now, how does that relate to you and me in 2012? Well, I think it, it connects pretty good. There's, very, there's a lot of similarities. Well, you know what? We have the law. We know the Ten Commandments. It has been passed down by the Jewish people, but we know what the law is. I mean, many of us were raised knowing the Ten Commandments when we were younger. Second thing, we were baptized. A lot of people feel that they're saved if they get baptized. Just like the Jewish person, hey, we're, we're God's people. We were circumcised. Baptism is just an outward sign of something done inside. If you were here for the last couple baptisms, what does it mean? When you're going under the water, you're dying with Christ. You've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live, but it's Christ now living in you, and you're coming up into a new life in Christ as you come out of the water. You're born again. It's a, it's a statement to the public of what you've already done in your heart. But if somebody goes up here and gets baptized or goes down to the ocean uh, a week from Friday and gets baptized at the concerts and the speakers down there, and they don't mean it, it's just they're just getting wet. It's nothing else that's happening. It's not an internal thing. It must be internal. You must be born again. Now, remember Abraham. We're children of Abraham. Remember Abraham by faith before he was circumcised trusted God he became circumcised after so we can relate to Abraham so call him our father too we can go all the way back to our great granddaddy Adam in the garden of Eden there was no Jewish race then either so we can relate to some of the things that Paul is saying In verse 2, we see much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles or the words of God. There were many advantages for them. I want you to turn to Romans 9, verse 4 and 5. So as Paul is writing this letter, he's saying, what advantage is it for a Jew? Or what's a prophet of circumcision? And he's saying much in every way. And we're going to look in Romans 9, 4, and 5 to some of the other advantages that the Jews had. In Romans 9, verse 4, who are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. Verse 5, of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally Bless God. So right there in uh, verses 4 and 5, we see some of the other advantages. But going back to Romans 3, we see the chief advantage. The chief advantage was they were, it was committed to them, the very words that you're holding 
in your hands. And there were some tremendous discipline, dedicated rabbis who would copy the scriptures. And if they messed up, they might have written a whole scroll that went from here all the way to the back of the church. And if they messed up on the very last word or the last letter of the last word on the scroll, they destroy the whole scroll and start again. That's how disciplined and serious they were with God's word. They wouldn't even do the consonants in the, the word Yahweh. They would leave out because they, they didn't feel worthy enough to spell his whole name out. How reverent the name of God was to them. How irreverent the name of God is today. All of us, where we work, right? How many times do we hear the name of Jesus or God mentioned in a day that's not praising Him and honoring His name? The name that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Can you imagine being the person damned forever in hell that all they said throughout their life was the name of Jesus as a profanity? And damn, goddamn, as a profanity. And that's going to be in their head and mind throughout eternity. That they had the very name on their tongue that could have prevented them from going through that tragedy, that eternity without Christ. When you and I are in that workplace, I believe we need to be like a Paul. Paul was chained to a Roman soldier. But I always like to think that the Roman soldier was chained to Paul. That the Roman soldier was the prisoner. Not Paul. Now you might be in your workplace. You might be in a situation where you feel like you're enslaved to the job. You're enslaved to the clock. But you know what? Look at it the other way. That God has put people in your lives in that workplace that you might be the only Bible they ever read. And as you draw closer to Jesus Christ, He'll draw closer to you and the light of His Holy Spirit and the power of God will work through you to touch people in your workplace. They may never enter the doors of a church. They may never open a Bible. But yet, their faith might be watered or the faith seed planted by you, if you understand the seriousness, if you can just get a glimpse of an eternity without Jesus Christ. And I believe Paul was a man that understood the eternity that was coming without Jesus. And he loved people so much that he was willing to die to get that point across. May we be people like that. In Deuteronomy 4, verse 7, we see how special the Jewish nation was. It says in verse 7 through 9, For what great nation is there that God was so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? For whatever reason we may call upon Him. And what great nation is there that has such statutes 
and righteous judgments as are in all this law which I set before you this day. Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself lest you forget the things your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. This is what Jesus chose for the nation of Israel to take his words and keep them on the doorpost of their house and their hearts and their heads and their wrists. But today, if you go to Israel and you go to the Wailing Wall, you'll see them with little boxes that have scriptures on them. But see, it's all about the letter. It's not the spirit. It's not a relationship with Jesus Christ. Everybody here, you and I can get into a deeper relationship with Jesus more than we have right now. Do you want that? Is that something that's important to you? To get a deeper relationship? Hopefully, yes, because it never ends. The depths of that relationship with Jesus is never ending. It's deeper than any ocean, higher than any sky, just can't be reached. In Psalm 147, verses 19 to 20, it says, He declares His word to Jacob, His statutes and His judgments to Israel. He has not dealt thus with any nation. And as for His judgments, they have not known them. See, nobody had the inroad that Israel had. Every other nation was a pagan nation. The only way they would come to the knowledge of Jesus Christ was through a Jewish person who was willing to share and live the life for God. You and I are those people today. The way we live our life, the way we speak, the way we act, the way we deal with adversity conveys to some people the realness of Jesus Christ. That's awesome. That is so great. I am privileged enough to to know a lot of you in here, and I just see so many times just Jesus in you. And what a comfort that is when you meet someone who has Jesus in them. Your spirits are joined together, aren't they? You feel one unity with that person. And you can meet a Christian from California, from Egypt, from anywhere. And if there are born-again believers walking with the Lord, there's a bond right away. It's there. You feel it. You know it. It's dynamic. Back to uh, Romans 3.3. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Is what God says dependent on your belief and my belief? In other words, is the accuracy, the truthfulness, the legitimacy of what God says in His Word based on how you and I believe? The whole world could believe in evolution. It does not change Genesis 1 and 2. It doesn't change it. God doesn't mold His words to fit our beliefs. Rather, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And his word is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we're changed into his image 
based on the working of His Holy Spirit. Verse 4, certainly not, Paul is saying. Heaven forbid that would ever happen. It's dynamic what Paul's saying here. Certainly not. No way. What are you, crazy? Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. Paul's saying, perish the thought. Forget about it. What God says is, is gospel. You know, on your Bibles, most Bibles, it says Holy Bible. One of the songs Pastor Paul played tonight at the end about being called. Look at the word Holy Bible. It's set apart. It's a separate book. It's a holy book. It's set apart by God himself for the human race to take or reject. How come churches today don't have Bibles in their pews? Why do a majority of churches never read the Word of God? They're saying it's outdated. It's old-fashioned. That doesn't make sense to me. There's a blindness. There's scales on those people's eyes. But... God tells us in the last days that people are going to be sitting in pews just waiting to hear things that tickle their ears. Things that they want to hear that gives their lifestyle the stamp. Okay, continue to live like this. It's okay. No, it's not. We need to be continually challenged by God's Word and continually be conformed by the power of His Holy Spirit. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian or how young early or how few days you've been a Christian. God is doing a work in your heart and it never, never ends. The Bible you and I says one day we'll stand before him face to face and then we'll know him and we'll know ourselves as he is. That day has not happened yet. God's still working and chipping away at things in your heart and my heart. What, a paraphrase of those, that verse that I just read about you may be justified in your words and you may overcome when you are judged is taken from Psalm 51, verse 4, when uh, David sinned with Bathsheba and a whole year went by before he actually was confronted and admitted his sin. And Psalm 51 is written by David as a result of that illicit and adulterous affair with Bathsheba. Paraphrase of that says this, Your words stand fast and true, O God. Rejection doesn't phase you. See, it doesn't matter. The whole world doesn't pay attention to Jesus Christ because His eyes are on you and me because we have a heart towards him. You know, it's, as a uh, teacher and a coach, you know, there's a lot of kids who are a pain in the neck. But you know what happens? Whenever there's that one great kid or a few great kids, boy, that like puts those kids that give you a hard time in the background. It's a joy for the ones who are right there that you're dealing with. It gets you through those tough days. Because here's some really good young guys and girls who 
have good hearts and they want to learn and they want to try hard. I think it's the same way with the Lord. I think he, I know he loves the world. He died for the world. But you know what? He loves you. He, he puts your tears and my tears in a bottle. He knows your anxious thoughts. He knows the stress that you're going through. He's concerned with every fiber in your body. Sometimes I forget that. I don't know about you, but I forget about that sometimes. How much he loves me. How much he cares. And there's nothing coming into my life that he doesn't ordain and allow because he loves me. I don't know if it was Pastor Joe this past Sunday. I think it was, but remember the uh, example with the baby with the diapers on? And it was Pastor Joe. And the baby tries to get up and walk and then falls down and there's a thud, but because of the baby diapers, I never thought about that before, the baby diapers are that cushion and doesn't hurt as much, but it's still bang, he's jolted but he gets up and he tries again. And he falls and he gets up and he tries again. I believe throughout all creation, doesn't matter where you look, you can see God's handiwork, but he's also given us a message. I think that little baby, not only for himself, is doing those things, it's for you and me. And God's saying, hey, just like that little infant that's trying to walk, I know you're trying to walk with me. And when you sin and you fall down, just get back up again. Keep your eyes focused on me. Don't give up. But I think what Pastor Joe said was so important. If I always go over to help that little baby up, it's not helping him or her. They're not developing their leg muscles and their, and their will to keep trying. You know, I remember years ago, remember if you found a, a little egg and it has a crack in it to start trying to help the little birdie get out of there, that destroys the bird because he's, he's growing, he's exercising his muscles, he's getting bigger and stronger just by getting out of that shell. Well, I believe that all of us are in that shell in a sense, that the things we're going through are those cracks and the adversity and all that garbage that goes on in our lives that we don't want any part of, that we would get rid of it today if we could, are the very things that the Lord is using to get our spiritual muscles, get us stronger in a relationship with Him. And if, it, if that's the case, if we know we're going to be deeper in love with Jesus and we're going to be stronger in our walk with Him, shouldn't we be saying, Jesus, bring it all on. Bring it on. I feel like I am going to crack up, Lord, but those cracks are the very things you're doing in my, in my personality, in my spirit to make me stronger with you. As a coach, I just loved knowing that regardless of what happens, Jesus, you and I win in the end. The days that go by, the months that go by, the years that go by might feel like we're losing, but it's just an inning of a game. And maybe the opponent scored 10 runs in the inning, but guess what? In the bottom of the ninth, when everything is done, we got a 10 billion runs to the 10 billionth power because of Jesus Christ. It blows away everything that happened before it.
Is what you believe true? Do you know God's word enough to stand by it? Do you know God enough to stand by Him? I want to encourage everybody tonight to discipline yourselves through prayer that God's Holy Spirit would uh, give you a hunger for His Word. That's number one, to be a hunger for His Word. And maybe you're here tonight and you don't even know this God we've been talking about for the last half hour or so. Maybe you don't even know this Jesus. But you're not here or you're not listening just out of a coincidence. Maybe you're here tonight and you really haven't been following the Lord and you know, you just don't know Him that well. I think God gives us an object lesson there as we close. Using Twitter or using a Facebook or using texting is a great, can be awesome communication. But you know what? It's not as good as a face-to-face. You lose something in the relationship, even by a regular phone. You don't read the person's body language. You don't hear the, uh, all the inflections in their voice, you know? You can get so much out of a heart-to-heart when you're face-to-face. Is something that Satan's doing, is he trying to make us more impersonal? You know, so many people are staying home these days watching church on computers. But yet the Bible says to keep meeting together, to break bread together, to get into the Word together. I think we need to honor what God is telling us to do. But are you a person here tonight that maybe has lost their relationship with Jesus or never had it? Well, we want to give you that opportunity, whether it's over the internet or just here sitting, to either accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior or to rededicate your life to Him. And for all of us, I just want to encourage us to get into God's Word in the next few days so that when you come back on Sunday to get into His Word some more, it's richer and deeper. And God's going to show you even more things than you would have known if you didn't read His Word in the next few days. So I'd like you to all just bow with me and I ask those of you who are walking with the Lord to just lift up anybody in this church who God has put in on your heart. Maybe someone that you've talked to and you know they're struggling with an issue. Just lift them up as I pray for the salvation prayer. But with every eye closed and just people praying, if there's anybody here tonight that wants to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, please just slip up your hand. This would be a first time. You've never done it before. But yet you know the Lord is is touching your heart. Is there anybody? You don't have to hold your hand up. You don't have to stand up. Just lift it up and down real quick so I can pray for you. Is there anyone? And as we continue to pray, is there anybody here that may...